It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing, and I am your show host, Randy Fine. Today, we are going to be talking with Dr. Steven Eisenberg, who is also known as the singing oncologist. In his practice, the enemy is cancer, but it's also denial, anger, and fear, draining emotions that can interfere with the effectiveness of treatment. Dr. Steven helps patients fight cancer using both time-tested conventional therapies and innovative medical technologies. At the same time, he helps them overcome negative emotions by cultivating compassion in a deeply personal way through laughter, empathy, and the music he plays and sings for and with them. Dr. Stevens' forthcoming book, Love is the Strongest Medicine, notes from a cancer doctor on connection, creativity, and compassion invites us to celebrate this truth. It tells a compelling story of a doctor's experience on the front lines of care, offers a roadmap for bringing humanity back into traditional medical practice, and gives patients, families, and caregivers a blueprint for living each day with hope. Stephen Eisenberg is a triple board-certified physician in internal medicine, medical oncology, and hematology as the co-founder of C-Care, California's largest medical oncology practice. He serves as the practice's medical, practice's medical director of integrative oncology as well as its unofficial CEO, chief empathy officer. He is also co-founder of Workup Inc., a collaboration platform for healthcare teams. His practice of writing songs with his patients earned him the nickname, The Singing Oncologist, and he has helped and has helped him become the most followed oncologist on Twitter and in-demand conference speaker. His work has been featured on NBC's Today, as well as People Magazine, Huffington Post, U.S. News and World Report, and many occasions. And he is the host of the Stephen, the Dr. Stephen Show and Podcast. So let's welcome him and get started. Good morning, Dr. Stephen. Welcome. Good morning, Randy. Thanks for having me. So great <laughs> to be with you. It's so great to be with you, too. I just, uh, you know, I just love your approach. All right. First, I want to ask you to tell us a little more about how you earned the nickname The Singing Oncologist. <laughs> You got it. Well, <laughs> I'm a I'm a songwriter at heart. You know, I've always I've always had this creative side of me that had to be expressed, no matter what. Uh, you know, as a as a kid, I I was writing 
songs and I had little bands growing up throughout middle school and high school. We'd, we'd always sing and write lyrics. And um, in medical school, <laughs> I would uh, there would be interesting uh, new words, new vocabulary, new medical vocabulary that you have to uh, become very adept at using. But this would also inspire me to write lyrics. Like, uh, for example, there's this, uh, I think a, you, you may have read in the book, there's a, there's a medical procedure called a sympathectomy. And I thought, as soon as I was learning about that, I thought that would be a great name for a song. And then I started writing some lyrics in the side of my medical book that was, <laughs> I don't need your sympathy I'm getting a sympathectomy. <laughs> so I thought, you know, like there was just, you know, I'm always inspired by just whatever's going on around me. How could this turn into um, a lyric? What could, how could it touch people? And so, yeah, it was, it, it, I'm a creative soul who happened to become a medical oncologist. And, you know, one would think that somebody with a creative soul who's really upbeat and has a great sense of humor would shy away from a oncology practice because of the nature of it. What we think, you know, it's, it's not when people think of oncology, they kind of get chills, you know, <laughs> they're like, I hope I never have to go to a doctor like that. So how did you make the choice to go into this um, this particular aspect of medicine? For that exact reason you just said. I thought to myself, Randy, where in the world of medicine should I make a little dent? Where in the world of medicine could use a little light, a little light through the darkness, if you will. I mean, uh, when you hear those three words, you have cancer, your life changes in a split second. And it's so scary. And you go into it, you you, you immediately go into this post-traumatic stress experience. Your body, your body gets tight. You feel so scared. You're in fight or flight. And I thought, could I, could I make a dent in that world? Could I use my creativity in the practice of medicine to help those who are the most scared and the most needing of a smile? Through, through not just the, the medicine is fabulous. The medicine is, is getting so much better. More precision oncology, more personalized medicine, immunotherapy, biologics, all of the great stuff. But I thought, who could use some love? Who could really use some love? <laughs> and in the world of, of medicine, and it was cancer patients, because when I, when I was doing all my rotations, those were the patients that needed to be listened to the most. Those were the patients that needed to be observed 
what was not being said the most. Those were the patients that needed to be verbalized to from a place of love and connection. And those were the patients that needed the most empathy. And if you put all those things together, listen, observe, verbalize, empathize, that spells love. And they needed love, and they still, to this day, need love from everybody who's been touched by cancer. Everybody's been touched by cancer. It's either you know someone, or you've gone through it, or or a friend of a friend's gone through it, and they're asking you, what should I say to them? Everyone says, I don't know what to say. It's so scary, you know. And the, and the answer to that, Randy, is there is no perfect thing to say. There's just listening and saying, I'm here for you. That's the first step. And that's why love starts with L, listen. Listening from your heart and really getting it. And then getting it's okay to have a bad, you know, we're, we're, our, our first knee-jerk reaction is to try to fix it. Just think positive. Just think positive, we tell someone going through cancer. Guess what? That doesn't help. <laughs> They've heard that from five other people that day. And guess what? They, a lot of times someone going through cancer doesn't want to hear just think positive. They want to hear, I get it. Mm-hmm. It's not, you're not feeling great. You're, you're, you're having a bad day, it's okay. I'm here for you. Tell me what's going on with you, and I'm just going to be here for you and listen. That's the first step. So you had an experience as a child that um, with a very compassionate physician that mm. sort of sparked this in you. Would you like to share that, what happened? Yeah, sure. I was in a horrible bike accident. A car hit me, and I dashed through the windshield, and my whole my whole um, body was messed up. My whole face was torn apart. My ear was dangling off. My left pinky was dangling off. The bone, my right tibia was popping through the skin. It was awful. And my brain was swelling more and more through the uh, through the ICU, and um, they, uh, Dr. Kodsey, may he rest in peace. He was this beautiful plastic surgeon, and they had to sew my entire face back on, and uh, it took several hours, and they really couldn't put me under because of my the brain injury. And so he just had to keep numbing up my entire face and sewing every little stitch. It took so long, but he was so compassionate. His kind eyes, his kind voice, his kind demeanor. I was somehow able to remain calm through his his compassion. And he he literally sewed me back together. And, um, you know, I looked like Frankenstein for a while, Frankensteinberg. And, <laughs> and you know, I was, a, I was 13. It was 1983. I was 13 years old. And uh, I was so self-conscious even before the accident. I was, I was so skinny. And, 
and you know, uh, just just you know, very very self conscious. And then I had this horrible accident, and I'm so uh, stitches all over my face, and and then the the kicker of, on top of everything was that um, I stopped breathing that first night in the ICU. That my brain got so swollen that the respiratory center was 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 messed up, and I stopped breathing, and they had to bring me back to life. And thank God I was able to get a second chance. And now, uh, all these years later, my whole life's about giving people, helping people with their own second chance. They're the pe- they're the ones giving themselves the second chance. I'm just helping. And and so, the the beauty the beautiful thing was music. Even back then. Um, I, I was learning about the power of, of healing through music even back then at, at, in the hospital. Um, I had I had something called expressive aphasia because the the, the speech center was was so uh, had so much edema and swelling around it that I couldn't speak. I knew what I wanted to say. If I wanted to say hi, Randy, how are you? It would be. Uh, Randy, what, what, I couldn't get out the words. It just, it's, it's so frustrating. It's called expressive aphasia. And I had to write everything down. I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of, of uh, your, 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 your mouth can't make the words that your brain wants to say. And it's very, very frustrating. But little did I know, I had no idea back then. But the speech therapy people were amazing. Another compassionate bunch. They told my mom, bring in his favorite music. Sometimes that helps. So she brought on, it was 1983. She brings in my boom box with my Michael Jackson thriller tape. (laughs) Everything back then was thriller. It It was the number one album in the world. And I knew every single word, every single har- melody, harmony, every every aspect of every sound of, the, of those songs. And wouldn't you know it, listening to that album, I was able to make the first things out of my mouth that made sense was the, the music and some of the words to Billie Jean. And... <laughs> and I, it, yeah, because music, the the music and and speech come from different centers of the brain, and um, it helped me so much. And I was able to finally get out some words after that, like you know, a, a few weeks later, and I was able to start to do physical therapy. I had a huge cast on my entire leg. Um, so here I was, a 13-year-old kid who couldn't speak, couldn't walk, but slowly through the love and the compassion and the empathy of all these therapists and doctors, and I started to come back to life slowly but surely, Randy. And, man, it was like a lot to go through as a 13-year-old, but all I wanted to do was, you know, 
meet a girl and and, and <laughs> be accepted right. by and, my peers and look good. You know. <laughs> and look, and look good. good. It was all about right. looking good at thirteen. You know, this yeah. is like, mm-hmm. oh my, this is like going into eighth grade. You know, and it was just, um, it was devastating, but. Somehow I made it through, and I think back to that day, and there's there was a really good chance that I wasn't going to make it through. So I look at this book, and I'm like, what are the chances this book never would have come into the world? What are the chances I never would have had these three kids of mine and met my wife and all these things that have come into my life almost ended in 1983? In, in 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 on that street and that's why that's why oncology that's why because I faced my own demise and and it was and, and when I was 13 it wasn't so clear you know I just felt like you know my dad took me aside and told me you know months later we almost lost you and, you know, because I, all I cared about was how bad wrecked my face was. And he said, you know, listen, you're, 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 it's all going to heal. And you can barely see the scars now, Randy, but, you know, I know they're there still. You can look at my pinky and you can see where it was hanging off. And these are gentle reminders when I look at my face and in my hand that, that I really did get that second chance. And this is why the book is called Love is the Strongest Medicine. I really believe that it was the love of those people, my family, my friends, the doctors, the nurses, the therapists, speech therapists, physical therapists, occupational therapists. Everyone came together for this little 13-year-old kid and gave me a chance to make it. And that's why oncology, because who thinks in their life that they're going to hear those three words, you have cancer? And who thinks in their life that, I hate to even say this, it's it's so scary to think about, that you're going to be given this this prognosis where maybe, you, you know, you're, you're going to when when the when the oncologist says, "Oh, mate, you might have a a year to live or six months to," that's just that's so scary to think about. And so I want to take every minute, every minute that I have with someone going through this, and if my interactions with them through love and and listening, observing, verbalizing, empathizing, if my interactions can make the time that's left on this planet for this beautiful soul 1% better than it would have been without me with someone else then I did a decent job that day Randy and it's not easy it isn't easy and it takes a lot it, it takes loving it takes love of your profession love of all the people who work in the office self-compassion, because as you read in the book, it's very easy as a doctor, especially oncologist, to burn out, 
to burn out. And one out of every two doctors, 50%, can you believe this, Randy? 50% of doctors exhibit really distressing symptoms of burnout. And it starts with disconnection, Randy. It starts with disconnection. So, you know, I was, I was actually going to ask you something related to what you just said. And in order to be able to have so much empathy and validate so many people in a, in a place or in, a situ, in situations where um, there's not a whole lot of positive energy, how do you keep filling yourself up so you can give it out? Because I, mm. I'm an empath myself, and many of my mm. clients are empaths, and I know that we get drained very, very easily, and we have to be careful to make sure we fill ourselves up so we can give it out. So what do you do in, in order to keep refilling that? So it's such an important question. And burnout drains it. Burnout is mm-hmm. when you're drained. Yep. And uh, it's actually paradoxical. It's actually paradoxical as an oncologist and, and any doctor who's dealing with, you know, life and death all the time. You'd think it would be to build that wall, build it higher and thicker and stronger. But it's just the opposite. And the research is finally finally catching up to what I think I was discovering starting back as that young kid, but but most recently how I came out of my own burnout and cured it. And I go around and speak to other doctors about the same thing. How can you do it? It's actually to break down the wall. It's paradoxical. It's not to build it stronger and thick and, and, and thicker and taller. It's to break it down. The doctors who are the most risk for burnout are the doctors who are most disconnected to their patients to begin mm-hmm. with, the most emotionally unattached. It's crazy. It was the creativity that included the patients. It was the blending of the creative aspects of my life with the work aspects of my life that actually started the road to healing. And I didn't really understand how or how, why or how I was going to do it until one of my favorite artists, by chance, happened to write a song for me. What do I mean by that? Well, he had an essay contest, which was, his name's Peter Himmelman. Look him up. And especially the song, Mission of My Soul. That was the song I wrote my essay on for his contest. And I called it Mission of My Medicine. And it was, how has Peter's music touched you or moved you in any way in your life? And I I talked about how this song became an anthem for me during those horrible all-nighters. as a resident, when you're woken up at 2, 3, 4 in the morning to go see a patient on the floor or in the ER, you're sleep-deprived. You you know, you're questioning, oh, my God, this is so hard. 
But I always went back to that song, Mission of My Soul. It's about this in the song, in the, in the essay, Mission of My Medicine. And I won the story writing contest. <laughs> That's the, great. Uh, the grand, yeah, the grand prize was Peter writes a song for you. So one, now my favorite artist writes me a song about all the things that I shared about my life in the story became the lyrics of the song. And after I heard my life back in this, this beautiful song, I started crying. I became so emotional. I started crying because at that time, as you read, I was in a really low place in my practice. I'd become so stressed out about making it and being number one and beating everyone out and make be, building the most successful and the most productive practice that I forgot my soul part of oncology and my guitar was in the corner collecting dust and after I heard that song that's when I knew I had to keep on keeping on I had to bring that guitar into the chemo room and I had to start doing what Peter did for me, even which was even harder, but it brought, brought me more joy and filled those tanks more, was to write personalized songs for patients. And it did the opposite of what you think. You think, well, that takes a lot of empathy and that'll drain me. It filled the tanks. It, it, it filled the tanks, like being vulnerable and being uh, and, and 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 creating, co-creating, and asking a patient to share their most intimate thoughts and moments with me as the, from their lives. What moves them, touches them, inspires them? What what brings them to life? And they would share that with me, and I'd write it down, and then it becomes a lyric over the next week or so it would start to fill my tanks because now I'm expressing myself. My creativity found a place that could blend the two worlds. And this paradoxically saved me and filled my tanks and continues to fill my tanks to this very day. And yes, it's, 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 you're right. There's, there's moments that are tough and, I do other things, meditation and yoga and all these wonderful things. And, you know, of course, you need to exercise and all of the self-care things. But to prevent burnout, it's, it's just the – it's a George Costanza. You've got to do the exact opposite of what you think <laughs> you're doing. You've got to go – you've got to connect deeper, not pull away. And that's the that's the the most interesting thing that I think I discovered, and then have been reading about in in re, in the compassion research. Unbelievable! I was like, maybe I was onto something all those years ago, because that's that's what the compassion research is showing that it, that not only is it important for the doctor, but it makes a difference in terms of outcomes too. 
Like patients do better when the care is delivered with compassion. Two exact care plans delivered. The care is perfectly designed. It's the right treatment. It's the most wonderful, effective treatment. But if one patient is delivered with beautiful compassion and the other patient does not have that, the patient who has the compassion actually responds better. And that's just unbelievable to me, and I love that because that just shows you that the mind and the body and the emotions do play an important role in our healing, that you've got to do the best of Western medicine, but also the best of the healing spirit and Eastern medicine philosophies, and you've got to combine it in what I call the best of the best best of the West, the best of the East, the best of the mind, the body, the soul, plus medicine. And that's love is the strongest medicine. That's got to love all aspects of healing. And it's not my way or the highway. It's, hey, what do you think, acupuncturist? What do you think, psychologist? What do you think, spiritual healer? It's like whatever we can do to help someone rally Using, using their mind, their body, their soul, everything. And so many, uh, in, in many aspects, my songs for patients that we co-write together are nothing more than little nudges, little reminders to someone that they are much more than someone going through cancer. They're a beautiful, unique soul who happens to be going through cancer. It's just that little nudge, that little change in mindset that I think makes all the difference in the world, Randy. Yeah. Wow. How fortunate patients are, you know, cancer patients are to come to you and have this kind of care. And I know that you, that you speak to other physicians and oncologists and um, try to share this, this with them. Um, But I think, you know, it has a lot to do with your spirit and um, you're a jo- very joyous person. You can connect to that. So you actually, I was going to ask you how you feel about holistic medicine, because you just said that you incorporate the East and the West and everything in between. So what happens if a patient comes in, um, you diagnose them as cancer, and they say, I don't want to put chemotherapy into my body. What do you say? Mm. That happens a lot, Randy, more than I'll you bet. think. Mm-hmm. And all of the all of the uh, holistic practitioners around the uh, <laughs> in Southern California, they, they when they encounter someone like that, and they they refer them to me because they they know that I'm open. I, I have an open mind. Um, the first thing the first thing is to um, listen. So I want to listen. I want to bring love to that patient. So if I listen to them, why is it that chemo has this, you know, this negative connotation for you? Is it you, many times it's, oh, my aunt had chemo in the 70s and it made her real sick. And uh, and then I want to observe what's all the nonverbal communication going on. How, what's their body language? What are you know, what are they not saying to me? And then, and only then, will I verbalize 
after I've listened and I've observed the nonverbal, then I can verbalize and I can say, I hear you. I hear you. Chemo to you is poison. And then I can empathize and I can get into their shoes and I can say, I can really understand why this feels like, you know, not, it's just against everything you stand for. But then what if, Randy, what if they do have something, for example, that chemo could cure? Take, take non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, for an example. Diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And I have a patient, a perfect example of your question, came in, older gentleman, came in with his children. We don't want him to get chemo. That's poison. Did I hear you? I listened. What happened? Well, our mom had chemo, and, 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 and it made her real sick, and, and it didn't cure her. Well, she had something completely different, right? She had, she had stage 4 pancreatic cancer. Oh my gosh. So even best chemo, even the best chemo wouldn't cure that, and and you know so so then I had to listen. I had to observe. They were very you know arms crossed, hardly looking at me, because you know to them the oncologist is the enemy that mm-hmm. killed mom, and and now dad's got you know non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So they said, we're taking him to, you know, Mexico to this, you know, uh, place that treats it with diet. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I said, okay. And, you know, I, I think that I want you to understand that dad has something that's completely different. It's different treatment. And in this case, I know you're not going to want to hear this, but in this case, chemotherapy has the potential to maybe cure dad of this, like not have it anymore and maybe live the rest of his life lymphoma free. And they heard me because it was coming from love and empathy. I'm spe- I, I said, I'm going to speak to you like you're my own brother and sister and, and he's my dad too. And pretend I'm your little brother who happens to be an oncologist. And they said, we hear you, but we're, we, we don't want to do that. And I said, I, okay, that's okay. I'll still be your doctor. I'm not going to fire you. You know, many oncologists say, well, no, my way or the highway, you, I, I'm going to fire you. I said, I'm, you know, you know, just let me know how it's going. I really think, you know, you know, bring them back. We can, we can look at, we, we still do everything we can. They, so they, they did, they took them down there and, you know, they did all this stuff. And they brought him back, and the lymphoma quadrupled, quadrupled during the, you know, during the, this, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, during the clinic. Right. And so brought him back, and they said, "Listen, we, <laughs> we, um, we, we appreciate that you listened to us, and we wanted, we really wanted to do this." And unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't give us the results we wanted. And now dad does want to really try the chemo. And we're going, to, we're going to try to keep our minds open because you listened to us and you heard us. You heard our concerns. You heard about mom. They did the treatment eventually because I was listening to them from love. 
And guess what? He's cured. He's cured. No lymphoma. No lymphoma. And so what I do, Randy, is I just love the family. I listen to them. I observe the nonverbal. I verbalize from my heart. I don't make them wrong for thinking the way they think. But, you know, they had very good reasons to feel the way they felt. And then I empathize. I get myself in their shoes. What if my I lost my mom to pancreatic cancer and then my dad had lymphoma and we were so scared of chemo? How would I feel? How would I react? If I wasn't an oncologist and I didn't know what I know, but they felt comfortable enough to come back. They felt the love that day. They brought him back, and now he's lymphoma-free. What the answer is, is everyone's unique. It's not a textbook. It's not a cookbook. You have to treat every single patient, every single family, every single situation, the psychosocial things that are not being said, the backdrop, the answer. Because when, they, when someone feels that love and compassion, they might be, they'd be able to just be open to what you're saying, too. Mm-hmm. And in that right. specific case, yeah, in that specific case, it, it worked out for the, for the patient. And they were, in the end, they were grateful. And they understood that every case is different. It, lymphoma is not the same as pancreatic cancer. And the treatments are different. And everyone's different. Every case is different. Every unique soul is different. So you have to, there's, that's the art. That's where the art of oncology, the art of medicine comes in. The way in which you speak, the way in which you can be truly heard, not just, well, they got six months to live and do this. And if you don't do this, well, then go find someone else as to mm-hmm. be your doctor. Like, patients tell me that, that that actually does happen more than you think. Yes, uh, it does. Yes, it absolutely does. Mm-hmm. And and so in many ways, this book is is it's a love letter to patients, but it's also a love letter to to my brothers and sisters out there, you know, who are healers in their own right. Anybody who's treating someone who's going through cancer, any type of practitioner, from medical oncologist to naturopathic oncologist. To psychologists, it's 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 a love letter to them as well to say, "I see you as well." And mm-hmm. what what we do is not easy. And if this book inspires you to bring a little bit more listening and observing and verbalizing and empathizing to your patient, but also to you, listen to yourself. What do you want to? What do you want your practice to be? What do you want to feel at the end of the day? Observe your environment. What are the people like around you that practice with you? How's the front desk? How are the nurses? Are you making them, are you, are you feeding the joy in that practice? Are you bringing joy to everyone who's part of your team from when a patient walks in and sees the front desk to 
the chemo nurses back in the chemo room. So when I bring the guitar in the chemo room, it's just about trying to bring a little joy. Can I make this place feel like a coffee house for five minutes <laughs> instead, of a, instead of a sterile uh, chemo room? So we have beautiful environment, you know, a beautiful, beautiful arts, real, you know, different, you know, chairs that, chemo chairs that don't look like chemo chairs. They look like beautiful recliners. They're not just these regular hospital looking, you know, so that's all part of it. That's all part of healing. And, and what I do is just a teeny small part of it. And the book, Love is the Strongest Medicine, is just about cultivating that love for yourself. Whatever that is for you, it's not about you need to go become a songwriter. It's about listening to your own heart. What's going to bring you joy? What's going to cure your burnout? Observing your life, what are you putting in your body? What are you surrounding yourself with? Who are the five people you spend the most time with? That's observing your environment. Change your environment, change your life, you know? That's my friend Ben, my, my doctor friend Ben Hardy says. And then verbalize. Verbalize from a place of mutual understanding and respect. And then empathy, empathize. Truly treat those people in your life, even strangers. That's a hard one. But even strangers, as if they're your own brother and sister. <laughs> because you know what? Then they're going to go and be like, wow, that stranger was pretty cool. And they <laughs> might go do it someone else and then it's the ripple in the you throw the pebble in the middle of the pond and the ripples go out did you um this is just on a side note based on my experience with my son did you um did you did you do residency in public hospitals or private hospitals or both public 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 mm-hmm. okay that's where Philadelphia. the challenge is Right. Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I saw it all. I saw right. it all, all throughout, all throughout Philly. Um, and it was, it was, it was a, a patient with lung cancer who was near the end of her life that, that first got me on the track of oncology because there wasn't much we could do for her. But what I what could I do as a young resident was I could I could love her and I could listen and she told me stories about her life and I could just spend time and listen and get it and make her smile a little. We laughed together. She was she was she had a fiery personality and we and she made me laugh. And um and um in the end I helped I helped uh, bring her comfort and the family comfort. If I wasn't an oncologist then, I was just a resident. But I, um, she taught me a lot about how the family dynamics work around someone who has going through cancer. She said, they're more worried about me than I am. 
<laughs> you know, it's just like I'm a I've lived a great life and I've have I have a lot of faith in the Lord and all and and you know, she was at peace. And so she said, you know, I'm more more worried about them. And and that she taught me a lot. She taught me a lot about that and her song was my way. And mm. uh, we played we played it in her in her uh hospice room. And the family was there, and and in the end, the family really was able to rally around her and and come together, and to just love her and respect her wishes. And uh, there was no there was no infighting anymore. And and you know there was a lot of healing. Your brothers and sisters were making up around mom about about mom's passing, around that experience, and it was. You never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get in oncology. Um, even even if there's no cure of the cancer, there can be healing. There can be healing of other old wounds, mm-hmm. psychological and other. And um, that's a part yes. of oncology that people don't know about, right, Randy? That right, right. That there, that there can be healing. Even if the cancer is not cured, there can That's be amazing. healing of many other things, spiritual wounds and soul healing, mm-hmm. right? Right. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. That's such a beautiful message for all of us to think about. Yeah, I I, I hear you. What, and there's so uh, much hate in the world, right? There's so much hate in the world right now that... that uh, <laughs> You know, if you take the book Beyond the Walls of Medicine, that um, we could all use some love right now, no matter what we're going through. And the so you know, the principles of the book are around a young oncologist's journey. But love transcends the walls of medicine, and and this this that the you know a lot of the things in the book are just about anybody who's struggling. Just to realize how the, the preciousness of each moment is probably the hardest thing to do in the world. Is uh, And that's why the great masters, the greatest spiritual masters, keep telling us, come back to the present moment. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when, when, you're, when you're going through cancer, all you think about is the future. What's going to happen to me? And so it's the hardest thing to do in my job is to gently try and bring someone back to right now you're okay, right now you're alive, right now what's the next right thing for us to do right now? I'm so inspired by you, Stephen. It's, um, you know, but I also also realize that this has to this has to be your nature because somebody doesn't become this and become this uh, deeply loving and, and um, yeah, I guess the word is loving. I think, I think it was a lot of the things I went through. I, I had mm-hmm. a, a very, you know, a loving family, but you know, they, I think my dad taught me at a very young age, that um, 
music. Uh, I mean, you know, art, the arts, and the the the, the healing arts and the creative arts did not need to be mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, that they could be somehow. He would come home from from his practice and he'd play the piano, for example. And um, but it was also very it was emotional for me as a young child because I saw my father getting burned out. I saw it, I experienced it, and I felt his pain. Um, he wasn't an oncologist; he was a family practice doctor. But I saw how medicine was changing around him with things like HMOs and red tape and all these things. And I saw I, there was a there was a there was a sadness around medicine that the joy of his practice was being drained. And so I always had this part of this 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 idea that if I was going to do this, I had to be aware of that. I had to be aware of. It's easy to to get burned out, and mm-hmm. even with even even though I could, I saw my father's struggles and how he came out of it, and it didn't prevent me from being burned out. I I I still went through it myself, and mm-hmm. thank God I came out on the other side of it. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. So you talk yeah. about you talk about um, going into your first practice and how how much of a a money machine it really was and how shocking that was to you that you had these quotas to meet and um so what tell us what that was like well i had no idea yeah i had no idea what it what it what it takes to to run a practice to to be um successful as a physician and so uh, it's a small business and I had to learn I had to learn um, that you 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 know you you uh, you have to see patients you've got to see patients and and um, and it was it was a very eye-opening and it was sort of scary and um, I mean, it's just the nature of, you know, you you can't keep the doors open. You can't, and as a private practice, you can't keep the doors open unless you know you're having insurances do what they say and and cover the treatments. And it wasn't so much people were doing it for money. It was that that it was that um, that I had to learn that this was part of the. The, the that part of real life that it was mm-hmm. part right. of real life that medicine was not just in private practice in California it was not just there and love your patients and uh and keep your fingers crossed for the best you had you had to you know you had to uh run a business as well and and uh the pressures of that, the pressures of that led to me feeling really stressed out. And um, it was a, it, it took a lot of, of learning and acceptance. But what for me, um, 
in the end was this was the thing that transformed it for me was connection at all costs connection at all costs i had to reconnect to why why i was an why i was a doctor why i was an oncologist why private practice private practice enabled me to be my to to bring in my own ideas and my own thoughts but i also did have to live in the reality of of insurances and hmo approvals and and uh diagnostic you know, codes diagnostic codes, codes. <laughs> ICD not ICD-10 codes and you know uh, A and AR accounts receivable like you know you right. had to learn I had to learn and 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 still to this day I I I thank and I love my partners who that they love the ones who love that aspect of it and and are smart and you know but they're all but they are fabulous doctors they're I, I don't think any oncologist and I'll say this again, I don't think any oncologist goes into oncology for money. They don't because that that ship has sailed. That, that, that <laughs> you know, it's not, you don't get, you don't get more money by putting people on treatment. That's just not how it works. And um, it's just, you have to survive. You have to survive uh, as a business. But more importantly, is you have to survive as a human being. Right. And I think by bringing in these, by bringing in these subtle mindset shifts, you're going to have a, a happier existence as an oncologist, and you're going to feel more fulfilled, and you're going to love your patients more, and in doing so, you're going to love your life more. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you'll get burned out by 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 any means like you have the potential to if you're bringing in some of these creative creative ideas and it's and, mm-hmm. and it's whatever to you maybe you like to fish share some fishing pictures or some videos of you catching your biggest fish you like music listen to ask the patient what's their favorite song and share your favorite song you like comedy watch a five-minute Seinfeld bit at the end of the at the end of the visit you like art, you know, ask the patient to bring in the, their favorite picture, take some art photographs and share some photographs. It's all about that shared connection, that two, two human, two souls sharing a human experience. That's what you are when you're in that room with that, with that patient, two souls sharing a human experience, one in which is there's a doctor and one in which there's someone that soul's going through some some really scary stuff with with a word called cancer and not feeling well and and really scared and so in the end this book is is nothing more than just connecting the deepest part of yourself. That's mm-hmm. all it is. So um, we are almost out of time. When is when is your book um, "Love Is the Strongest Medicine"? When will this be available for us? It's available. It just came out. 
Oh, it cool. Just came okay. out. It, it just came out. So uh, it's available everywhere, Amazon, you know, anywhere you can get books. Um, and uh, drsteven.com as well, drsteven with a v.com, you can get it there as well. But any bookstore, any online bookseller, and you just put in the title or my name, and it comes right up. And I'm I'm so thrilled to share this with the world. Oh my gosh, I'm sure you are. And and I see that it's published by Hay House, and that's such a great publishing house. So congratulations oh on that. Yeah. yeah. My dream publisher, the number one <laughs> publisher for, for personal development stuff. So I'm like, yes, absolutely. that's unbelievable. That was really right. great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can appreciate that. I'm an author as well. And I know what it's like to get a, to get in with a great publisher. Um, how that's, you know, really everybody's dream. Uh, every writer's dream. So, well, oh, I, yeah, I want to, th- yeah, I want to thank you for the work that you do and for bringing your love to us today because your mindset, your approach is something that we can approach everything with. It's not just oncology. Mm-hmm. It's not just medicine. It's really everything. Mm. Um, you know, we should all walk around with <laughs> with love and um, and empathy, um, but mm. know the balance. Know the balance of how to do that in life. So, so it's beautiful what you've done. Um, but I'm so happy to have had you as my guest today, and um, I'm so happy to have read your book. It's very inspiring. I recommend it. So, thanks. Thank, thank you, and have a have a really so great for, day. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful, and thank you for being so open and and um, and, and to these ideas. And I I just know I hear who you are, and I honor that. So I really appreciate you, Randy. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, the work that I do involves um, dealing with people's deepest pain emotionally and um mm. uh and I don't burn out because I really I yeah I just love them and help them through it and I'm patient and uh eventually they mm. come around so I, I get it I totally get it all right well we're out of time so I have to say goodbye to you thank you for having me and have a beautiful day We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.